0: This is the Overclocked Podcast, a regular dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org.
1: This week we learn about dual Final Fantasy X project Spira from dual directors Joe Chen and Emily McMillan, unearth the secrets of the harmonic motive with a between the lines segment from me, and get into the fall spirit with an autumnal playlist. What's
2: going on?
0: That's right, everybody. It's time for another episode of the Overclock Podcast. And here is my definitely brother, definitely Brian.
1: It's really good to be here, Stephen. How have you been? I feel like I just saw you yesterday. Oh, I think
0: the jig is up. People can hear voices on podcasts. You can tell this isn't Brian. He's on a trip to D.C., probably got lost somewhere around the Washington Monument or something. So we called in our old pal, Lauren. Our backup
1: Brian. the,
0: The backup Brian. When when we re- when we really need help, we put up the Laura signal <laughs> into the sky She comes swooping into the podcasting <laughs> studios That's Laura and Travia, welcome to the show, Laura
1: It's great to be here, I'd love to have a Laura signal I hope it's just a picture of that face I always make in all my profile pictures <laughs> Just emblazoned upon the sky We just
0: load up Facebook and just like attach it and to a spotlight Just put on a big projector,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, exactly mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> So um. We didn't theme this show as well as we did last week. Last week was, was all Zelda all the time, um, and it kind of seemed a little bit scattered and random this week, but I discovered a mysterious pattern. I found out that we are going to be talking about um, a new uh, Materia Collector project called Spira, as you, as you heard in the intro. And mm-hmm. I believe you contributed to that, right, Laura? Did you do a song on I that? I did.
1: I did a little recording for a couple of tracks. I wasn't as involved on this album as uh, other Materia albums, but I did uh, collaborate with my friend Nate Gulla, uh, who I went to school with, actually. We were both in the composition program at one point, and And... Um, We uh, put a a piece together uh, for the first time, working together for the first time since school, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was cool. cool. It was piano and flute, and uh, our friend Felipe mixed it, so that was a really good time.
0: Well, that's awesome, and that was like one one-hundredth of the album.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. My very small piece.
0: And um, uh, also, we have a segment from... You actually, which, which worked out pretty well. Uh, it's Ooh, about harmonic me. motive, which I didn't know anything about until about uh, 24 hours ago.
1: And you know what? It fits our theme of randomness because it's actually about a random collection of games. So I, you know, I don't know about you, but I think I put plenty of thought into uh, sticking with the theme of this episode. So just, I'm just saying that. Yeah,
0: we based the theme after <laughs> From that. From one
1: brother to another. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um, lastly, we have a playlist of all about my favorite season maybe maybe second to christmas i don't know it's about autumn fall music it's quite lovely um and you uh sent us in a song for that so i found out after this the theme is apparently you you're in every single (laughs) thing we are talking about today it's
1: all laura all the time i swear
0: it wasn't (laughs) planned it's just a lovely coincidence now, before we get into the Remix Rewind, I wanted to quickly mention um, another Materia Collective project also put out or directed by Emily McMillan called Spirit, which is an EP that is generating funds and awareness for Hurricane Harvey relief. Um, mm-hmm. When I was talking to Emily for the interview you're going to hear very soon, I found out that she is also a Houstonian and doesn't live that far away from me, and... Mm-hmm. um this is a really cool beautiful album that is you know dedicated to continuing the help that you know this area has been bombarded with recently so
1: right yeah a lot of uh, a lot of people contributed on very short notice it was really it was really cool to see everybody coming together and especially sharing um you know video game music themes that i i think were purposefully selected to be sort of uplifting music from games, or at least had some kind of theme of, like, mm-hmm. uh, triumph through adversity. So it, yeah. it was very it was very cool to see them pull that together in t- such a short span of time.
0: So check that out if you haven't already, everyone. Um, you, maybe you can do it while you listen to these Remix Rewinds, which we're going to talk about right now. Let's look at the fart, fart, fart. <laughs> You can't say chipper without chip. And Argyle is driving that point home with an adorably hip-hop rendition of Outset Island from The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker. It's an old-school trip to the sunniest setting this side of Delfino Plaza, and you just know the entire island's population of, like, 12 are tapping their tiny feet to every beat.
1: could say something cute like you can't get pixel without (laughs) pix." please leave that in from the musical duo pixel noise comes a warm welcoming secret of mana remix called mana's requiem strings are plucked and strummed at a wistful pace like a really good memory floating back to the surface the variations wander off the beaten path along the way but a melody this good always finds its way home
0: Thank you. Second time OC remixer, that Andy guy, has one big thing in common with me. We both played the heck out of Chip's Challenge, the best top-down puzzle game that nobody remembers. <music> Defunct Do You Know About Chip spins that catchy repeating gameplay loop into its musical equivalent. A funky electronic beat that don't stop and frankly won't stop. and more head over to ocremix.org Hey everybody welcome back it's time for another into an interview it's the part of the show where me Steven talks to people about video game music and this time this time we've got two people on from the new Materia collective release Spira music from Final Fantasy X Emily McMillan and Joe Chin here in the fictitious studio with me. Hey guys, how are you doing?
3: Hey, we're doing pretty well. Thanks so much for having us on.
0: Well, you're very welcome. And uh, Joe, same to you. Welcome to our program. Oh, thank, you. thank you for the great welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I launch into the radio voice a little bit too much. <laughs> it's kind of a f- recurring problem. But anyway, before I keep on talking, why don't you guys introduce yourselves, how you got involved with Spira? Um Joe, we'll start with you, I guess.
4: Uh well, um, Emily and I actually joined Materia Collective at the, at around the same time. We started um during the original Final Fantasy VII album, when the Final Fantasy Seven um H er uh, eight Final Fantasy Seven re- um what is it called? Like the the new Final Fantasy seven game was R- announced. I don't at know e. what it's called, man. Don't ask me.
0: <laughs>
4: basically, when it was it was announced at E three, there was like a lot of hype, and um and then basically the the video a bunch of people in the video game music community um who knew Sebastian Wolf. Um, Sebastian was like, hey let's let's do let's do an album to kind of celebrate this upcoming release. And then like a couple months later, then we we put out Final Fantasy Seven, um, the, the Final Fantasy Seven remix album. And mm-hmm. a, a couple years later, here we are. Final Fantasy X is one of our favorite albums. So that's why we we're really excited to lead it as al- album
0: producers. That's awesome, and because I'm sure your your leading phrase was the Final Fantasy Seven album was too small. We need to make it bigger this time.
3: <laughs> well, since the the Final Fantasy Seven album, that was just sort of the people who immediately responded to Sebastian on Twitter when he said like, "Hey, let's do Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. Um and then when you know everyone decided to like stick around and see what would happen next, like more and more people kept pouring into the group. Um, so, you know, a couple of years later when we said, okay, well, here's going to be the next mainstream, you know, main series, Final Fantasy game we arrange," Um, there were a lot more people who jumped into the project. Uh, and that was actually something that we were kind of talking about for a while because, you know, look, I think we got about 180 something track proposals, um, from the people who wanted to participate. And we were kind of like, okay, um, <laughs> what do we do? That's from a here? tidal wave. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, a lot to, have to cut actually. So, 100 tracks is the short version. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. It actually, I think it stands as the second largest video game music, um, like remix collaboration that I know about. Um, Ooh. have you guys listened to, um, what is it called, Harmony of Heroes before? It's the Super Smash Bros. remix album. Yes, yes. Um, and I mean, it, you guys should have just eked out one or two more tracks because they literally beat you by one track. It's <laughs> one hundred one songs long.
3: I was really excited to have a round number. I'll be honest. So when it, it came cool. time to it, you know, there was we had about a hundred, and then there was one person who was looking at dropping, and I was like, no, 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 we, it's got to be a hundred exactly. That's the perfect number. Uh-huh. <laughs>
4: And, and and let me tell you, Emily really pushed the, pushed for this round number when when we dropped below like the uh, the number that would have made it round. She, she was like, okay,
0: uh-huh. we're gonna push it back up to exactly the right amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, if you have like ten songs, it's pretty easy to keep that number consistent. If you have a hundred, four people drop out, and suddenly it's like, no, it's three weeks to release. Four, you you you're doing Chocobo now.
3: Yeah, I'm. I, I think I got, like, a bit of a reputation in the group for... I mean, I, whenever someone was uh, about to drop a track, like, I would immediately, like, sit down and talk to them and be like, why are you going to drop? Like, what mm-hmm. can I do to make this not happen? Um You know, partially because I just like that number, and we ended up having 50 tracks per album, which is perfect. Um But also because I for anyone who participated i didn't want it to be an experience where they looked back on it and thought like oh i, I really wish i had done this or it's too bad i didn't have time to, to see this through yeah um i wanted it to be like a positive memory for everyone who was in it
0: that's awesome and actually i'd like to talk to you both about your roles in putting this in together but first maybe to clarify a little bit about the album well or i guess albums themselves um how did you separate these hunter tracks into two albums and are they thematically different in any way? One
4: is a Basade mix, and one is a Xanderkin mix, and they're absolutely um, stylistically and thematically separated. On the Basade mix, you'll encounter a lot more classical, traditional, acoustic... On the Xanarkin, you'll get a lot more experimental, also rock, and then also um, electronic covers. we did want it to make it um a pleasant listening experience on both sides so it's not just like you're buying a uh let's fall let's uh have a lullaby album on one side versus a, mm-hmm. a like pump pump rock on the other side we we did have some mixing between the two to, to try and create a really um nice listening experience be, um, between both of them so
0: for you guys specifically working together on this giant project how did you sort out your own duties did you take like, separate roles, or did you work in everything 50-50?
3: I mean, there was... I don't think there was any point um, where we sat down and said, okay, you handle all of this, and I handle all of this. Um, Joe is really, really good at um, spreadsheets, we found out, (laughs) or I found out. Um, (laughs) So he did a lot of, like, the uh, -the behind-the-scenes organizational stuff. Um, There were... um, 100 tracks on the album or on the project but there were over 200 musicians so Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people to manage um and that called for like a lot of behind the scenes organization on our part uh and that was a 100 percent joe so he was able to kind of put together forms um that automatically sorted out all the data that we got um he created different spreadsheets organized in different ways so that uh we could if we needed to check like stats or information on something we could get to it really quickly uh when people had questions we were able to address it accurately based on the data that we had collected and that is literally
0: Um, literally the only reason why this project could have come together like if it's going to be this big you have to have that kind of stuff at your fingertips
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, it was, um, absolutely invaluable during the project for sure. Yeah. And, That's and
4: why. I would say, and I would say that, like, it's, it's not like we, like Emily was saying, like, uh, both of us did contribute on both sides, where, mm-hmm. like, al- although, like, Emily, she, she, Emily's fantastic at, um, the people management side. A lot of times, mm-hmm. um, like, like different scenarios would come up and I would be like, I have no idea how to like approach the situation in the mm-hmm. correct way. And then Emily would like use her magical, like, um, people skills and be like, oh, problem solving skills and be like, this is probably the, the best way to go about it. Or this is, this is a good way to go about it. But um, mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I did really like that both of us. We didn't just say, okay, I'm, Joe's gonna do all technical, Emily's gonna do all the talking. Um, right. we, we did a lot of overlap also. So, so that if, for example, if I was really busy at one point, then Emily could, could step in and, and um, and like help with the technical things and 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 vice versa if Emily was really busy like I would also step in and help answer questions and and solve problems like that
3: yeah that that made it really helpful for us just because we we both also had a lot going on in our personal lives outside of this album coincidentally at the same time so we were able to say like hey I'm unavailable this weekend can you take care of Mm -hmm. everything (laughs)
0: right having someone Um, else to like hold down the fort while you're gone is pretty awesome.
3: We, we sort of, when we were giving feedback, we would actually divide up the tracks. So, you know, Joe would take half the tracks and I would take half the tracks. Mm -hmm. Um, and then for the next kind of check-in that we would do, we'd switch tracks. Um, so that way if there was like a consistent error, um, we would be addressing it without being like influenced by each other. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that could have absolutely resulted in like too much bad (laughs) cop. Um, the delicate
0: balance, uh, and yeah, Emily, yeah. you have uh, at least one track on the albums, right?
3: Yeah, um, it was part of getting it to 100. Uh, <laughs> we were closing in and they're only 99, so I <laughs> did one last minute.
0: So what uh, what kind of music do you usually uh, produce? Like, what's your style?
3: Um, I mean, I I really love video game music. Um, I would say arranging music is kind of the lowest on my list of things that I like doing mm-hmm. with, with video game music. It's It's fun, but it's like I'm very much especially compared to so many people in Materia Collective. Like, I'm I'm not, a, I'm definitely not a full-time musician. Sure. I barely do it as a hobby. Um, but I, I really like working with different members of the group. So there are just so many talented instrumentalists in the group. So anytime I, I arrange something, I, I really try and work with people I haven't worked be- with mm-hmm. before just to, um, you know, just to branch out a little bit. I do usually ends up playing on my arrangements. But <laughs> aside from that, they're uh, sort of, a range of people i really like working with
0: and so joe what do you do music wise
4: so i am a little bit more on the p- the performing side so i have i'm a classically trained violist i'm not a professional by any means but i've been playing for a really long time so i have like a certain level of proficiency and mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so so um i do contribute a lot
0: uh, or a decent amount of violin recordings to um, different tracks very cool very cool So I wanted to circle back a little bit to what you were saying, Emily, all these fantastic performers that you have on the album. Mm -hmm. What tracks were you most excited to see come together or people who were most excited to work with? Because there's, like, a lot to choose from.
3: I mean, it was was just really exciting to get to work with every – I mean, I know that's kind of a cop-out, but, (laughs) like, I've seen all of these performers contribute to other Materia Collective albums. So to be directing this album and say – I'm I'm working directly with these people whose work I've, I've admired for, you know, a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them I met from the first Materia Collective album, but some of them like I've been following them on YouTube for years and years and I'm like, Oh, you're that guy. Like <laughs>
2: um
3: I know there's even one one musician in the group uh who I'd been following on YouTube since like high school or something, and I didn't even realize it was him until um earlier this year. So Oh,
0: that's cool it, it's
3: it's really exciting to actually get to work like one on one with these people. And we certainly had like surprise musicians that that we hadn't been expecting on the album. We had one vocalist who I'm a huge fan of, uh, Julie Elvin, joining uh, seeing mm-hmm. on one of the tracks, and I didn't even realize she was on the album until um, towards the end of the check-ins. then we also had um, musicians like you know Dale North I've always wanted to work with him but and he's always been on materia albums, yeah. so I wasn't surprised by him being on this album but it was also really exciting to actually officially be working with him on this and can I just
0: pause for one second to say that Dale North's track was unbelievably good yes. Like i unbelievable <laughs> like it was th- i mean in my mind it far surpasses the the source material <laughs> like he just <laughs> knocked it out of the park when
2: and my heart swimming in collected words move by the wind in through the world clouds. Like a voice that we all recognize Carry the whole
3: Yeah, I actually, the, the first time I heard it, uh, it was, so Lion King just came back into theaters, um, <laughs> like, earlier this year, and I, I love that movie, so I went to go see Very it Very the good. Theaters, and it was, like, around the same time that I heard his track, like, completed for the first time. Um and at the end of Lion King, there's, like, this version of Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And I want to say it's Elton John singing, um, but it's, like, just quintessentially 90s. Uh-huh. Like, it's got everything that you hear in those, like, really stereotypical 90s songs. And when I heard uh, Dale North's version of, of Sticky Darn It, it was, like, the exact same. I was like, wait, this is, like, the perfect ending to this album because it's, like... It, it captures the 90-ness of Final Fantasy X it, it um, really, really well.
0: Man, now I just want to hear Dale North sing Lion King. Has he done that before? <laughs> i got to <laughs> find that out.
3: Yeah. <laughs> That'll be our next Materia Collective album. <laughs> what about you,
0: Joe? Was there anything you were extra excited you know, to see come to fruition in this album? Or, I keep saying that, in these albums? I I think, like,
4: as a string player, um, I really liked seeing um, both Triforce Quartet and Baderi String Quartet um um, come back on and perform on these albums because they're really cohesive groups. They, they, um, and they're, they're both playing really, really great arrangements. Uh, um, Bideri played Suteki Dane and, um, Triforce, um, played many tracks. And one of them was, um, I think it was called The Truth Revealed, um, which is arranged by Sean, um, Skiafansky. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but, but, um, mm-hmm. they both sound re- both of the groups sound fantastic. I've heard them live at Magfest. And in recordings, mm. they, 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 they also don't disappoint. So I was absolutely, um, like jumping for joy when I heard their <laughs> recordings.
0: Something we haven't talked about very much so far is Final Fantasy X itself. What are your respective histories with that game? And I guess the series kind of in general.
3: So, I mean, for both of us, I think it was the first Final Fantasy game that we played. Um, So it kind of got us into the series. Mm. Um, It's just got a whole lot of nostalgia factor for both of us. Um, And I mean, I also think it's a really excellent game. Like it's got, it's sometimes... Seen as a little bit of a black sheep after Final Fantasy, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think the storyline is is incredibly strong. Um, I really love all the characters from it, and one thing that we were excited about to, you know, in in doing this arrange album is the music's really different. You know, they've got these two other composers involved in the soundtrack. Yeah, um, there's a lot of like weird ambient stuff uh, that just doesn't exist in previous Final Fantasy games. So covering it. Was going to be a little bit different from covering Final Fantasy Seven VII and Eight, yeah, which Materia Collective also did because it's really not the same.
0: Beca- and correct me if I am wrong, but Ten was the first main series Final Fantasy game that Uematsu did not have basically entire control over, right? Like this is the first thing they mm-hmm. split off into other multiple composers, so the the sort of tone and genre shifted kind of radically. Yeah, and I think Ten is is a particularly
4: challenging album to do this kind of. Um, large scale remix where, where you have so many tracks just because a lot of the original tracks on the soundtrack, um, were kind of re, um, a lot using, used a lot of the same themes, but just in different Mm -hmm. ways. So we want, so it could have been really easy to fall into the trap of, okay, we're just going to have like, Five million choral versions of him of the faith, but and, and <laughs> right. it would that would make a re- really really bland listening experience. But I really like that um, our members really stepped up stepped it up and said, okay, I'm going to take um, I'm going to take uh, this one track and completely change it. Whether whether we might make it like um, less serious when it was a very serious track to begin with, or um, go in a
0: completely different direction. So I, I just really love what everyone did. So. Anything that we've missed so far that you guys really want to bring up um, about this album duo? Um,
3: I guess one thing that I would bring up is uh, just that the whole project is 100 tracks, um, and that's absolutely a lot to get through. Uh, One of the reasons we divided it up into two albums, it wasn't meant to be so that people have to buy two albums, but more that uh, depending on what type of music you enjoy listening to, especially since we did try to divide it stylistically, um, you know, if you like Final Fantasy X music and you see yourself as someone who prefers like more classical music, mm-hmm. you you can purchase one of the albums and and see if you enjoy it. So uh, fifty tracks is still big, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but you can you can enjoy them separately, even though it was released as as one giant project. Uh, and that's something that one of my favorite things to see responses. Uh, of, on the project is, you know, when people say like, well, you know, this type of music really isn't my style, but I love that there was this whole album dedicated to this type of music, mm-hmm. which I really do enjoy and love listening to.
4: And one of the great things that I love about the group is that, is that you won't have the same people leading every single project. So it won't, it won't be us like every single album. It'll be someone mm-hmm. else with a new creative vision. So we're excited to see what, what, um, these, uh, other producers come up with in the future.
3: Yeah, um, I think Joe jo said it really well, I think in a, in a previous interview did, was that while Final Fantasy X is a really special and, and meaningful soundtrack to us, like every single person in the whole materia group has, you know, a different soundtrack that's mm-hmm. just as significant to them. Um, so, and, and every project we have is directed by someone who has that special connection with that soundtrack.
0: Yeah, that that is, that is well said. And you just picture, you know, over a hundred people working on on just Spira and what each of them Mm -hmm. might do later. (laughs) It's like an unlimited amount of potential. And that's kind of an exciting thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that's a pretty, pretty strong way to close this interview. Guys, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me a little bit about Spira and everything that went into it.
3: Thank you again so much for having us. Uh, We we really enjoyed getting to talk about this project. Likewise.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, And hey, we'll have everything in the show notes where you can go and get the album, where we can follow you guys on twitter or whatever and whatnot but just the quick vocal version um is there anywhere you guys uh want listeners to check out uh we'll definitely check out the materia collective websites and social
4: media so materiacollective.com and um at at, at twitter um on twitter it's um at materia c-o-l-l and um they're also facebook pages
0: and uh and other social media like instagram so just um search for those all right sounds like a plan thanks again And uh, for now, we're going to head back to the rest of the show.
1: My name is Laura Entravia, and this is Between the Lines. Since this series began, I've tended to look at single pieces or single video game franchises to demonstrate different musical ideas. This time I thought I'd change things up a bit. I'm going to discuss a single concept and take a look at it in a few different games. I spoke at length in my last episode about the similarities between a video game score and an opera or a musical drama, how many of the same compositional techniques are used to maintain cohesiveness throughout the score. The leitmotif, as we discussed, is a favored means to this end, in that it is a melodic phrase or figure that accompanies the reappearance of an idea, person, or situation, something to do with the story. Several characters in the Zelda series have leitmotifs, most notably Zelda, Ganondorf, even Groose from Skyward Sword. But there are more subtle ways to create cohesiveness. Think of any famous symphony you've ever heard that isn't programmatic. That is, it has no story or plot or characters or places or situations or theatrical elements at all. Basically, anything called something like Symphony Number no. 2, these pieces can't benefit from a leitmotif, because there is no story, and a leitmotif needs a story. So instead, many of the composers rely on a simpler approach. motives. You probably noticed that the word leitmotif has motif in it, which means motive. So what does it mean exactly? Motive is the stem of the word motivate, which means to drive by means of a purpose, idea, or goal. A musical motive is basically exactly that, a musical idea that drives the content of a piece. Wikipedia defines it as the smallest analyzable element or phrase within a musical subject or theme. 20th century composer Arnold Schoenberg defines a motif more specifically as a unit which contains one or more features of interval and rhythm whose presence is maintained in constant use throughout a piece. As with most things musical, it's easier to hear than to describe a motive in words, so let's take a look at possibly the most famous example of a motive. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Those opening three notes, commonly referred to as the fate motif, drive this entire piece. The pattern of short 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 long with the pattern of the descending third reappears constantly in varied forms throughout the piece. In the words of Wikipedia, Beethoven uses imitations and sequences to expand the theme, these pithy imitations tumbling over each other with such rhythmic regularity that they appear to form a single flowing melody. So this fits both definitions I mentioned before. It's a musical idea driving the composition forward, and it contains one or more features of interval or melody, and rhythm. It has both interval and rhythm. But a type of motive we run into far less is the harmonic motive. Wikipedia defines it as a series of chords defined in the abstract, that is, without reference to melody or rhythm. What does that mean? Basically, a harmonic motive is one or more chords. Oh, like a chord progression, you might be saying. Not necessarily, and here's where we get into the weeds of trying to put music into words again. A chord progression is typically something that is filling out the length of an entire subject or theme. So the progression is therefore determined by the melody. A harmonic motive must be a collection of chords that is not subordinate to melody or rhythm. It's something that is recognizable simply for the chords themselves. Here is the perfect simple example, the Forest Temple from Ocarina of Time. This piece is very loosely constructed around just a few ideas. We have the barest suggestion of a melody, two separate sort of tribal rhythmic lines that are somewhere between melodies and accompaniment. all of that, the only constant is the same two chords that keep oscillating back and forth. In a way, this piece is a combination of every type of motive. The melody does its own thing. The upper accompaniment is driven by this rising third motive and triplet motive. The bottom line is simply a downbeat rhythmic motive. And then we have the chords underneath all of that, alternating back and forth as a constant, you guessed it, harmonic motive. All of these elements exist independently of each other, weaving around and fading in and out almost randomly. The chords in this case are not determined by any melodic or rhythmic content. They are instantly recognizable and drive the atmosphere of the piece. This is literally the reason why Koji Kondo is one of my favorite composers. Look at all the different techniques he layered together to make one of the most beloved dungeon themes in all of zelda Dumb. Now that was a single piece. Let's look at an example that involves an entire game. Banjo-Kazooie was one of my favorite games growing up and seriously shaped a lot of my musicianship today. I have vivid memories of my sister Nicole playing the game while I would be at my dad's computer trying to transcribe what I heard. My parents actually had a time limit in our house of how long we could play video games and on which days, and we had wanted to be able to listen to the soundtrack on our off days without having to play the game. The reason I loved the music so much was its quirky, harmonic language. It had a uniquely whimsical, colorful magic to it in a way I couldn't put my finger on as a kid. Imagine my delight when I was listening to Game Grumps a few years ago, and special guest Grant Kirkhope, composer of Banjo-Kazooie, started talking about the music he wrote.
0: So so I figured that because
3: Banjo-Kazooie were complete opposite characters, i.e. opposite, because Kazooie's clever and sarcastic, banjo's dumb and, you know, etc. So the oh the, the God, C and F sharp are the furthest notes apart. It's the furthest point from C and C, right? So I figured that's why it's got the chords are C major, F sharp major, C major, F sharp major. That's, and that's why it works. That's why all the all the music in banjo is basically based on that interval. Because it represents, in my mind, the, the two opposite characters. But
2: that was, that was heresy in you the 13 hours. Yes.
0: He was. You are a mad genius.
1: What Grant is referring to is the two chords built off of these two pitches. C and F sharp, that's a C major chord and an F sharp major chord. I tried to find the simplest example of these chords in the game, which I believe is the musical cue for unlocking a world door. It goes fast, but it's quite simple, it's just the same two chords over and over again, the ones that Grant mentions in the podcast. Here's another example in Mumbo's Mountain, the first level in the game. Same exact chords. This chord combination is everywhere. In seriously almost every single piece on the soundtrack, this chord relationship appears. It's sometimes in different keys. It's sometimes in a minor mode. Sometimes it's just a key change. Often it's buried in an unexpected section of a phrase. Like we're used to hearing, almost every song is in the key of C, by the way. So we're gonna be used to hearing it going to that F-sharp chord, but sometimes it'll be hidden somewhere else. C, A flat, D, G, C, C, A flat, D. That's the same exact distance between the notes of A-flat and D as there are between C and F-sharp. So it's the same relationship. It's always there, you guys. The sheer number of variations and permutations of where this theme appears in the context of a phrase is honestly astounding. It wasn't until I went digging into each individual track that I realized how cleverly the motive is embedded into the music across the entire game. Now some of you might be saying, but it's part of a longer harmonic progression every time, and harmonic motives are supposed to be self-contained ideas. Even obvious ones like Momo's Mountain, the chords are part of a longer progression. be a coincidence that this chord relationship keeps popping up? The answer is no. No, it couldn't, because these chords would never naturally appear in the same key signature. Let's back up a bit. Grant is picking chords that are based off of a particular interval between the root pitches of those chords. They're a tritone apart, or exactly six half steps. No matter how you order the pitches, it's always going to be the same distance away from each other. In diatonic or tonal harmony which is what Banjo-Kazooie is definitely primarily based on, no two major chords would ever be that distance apart. So without getting too in depth into scale theory here, our major scale, right? There are certain chords that can be built off of the pitches of that scale by just building thirds on top of them. And there's a certain pattern of types of chords that you'll hear. Major, minor, minor, major, major, minor, diminished, and we're back to the major chord again. There is a distance of a tritone between two of the pitches in this scale. The 4th and the 7th are a tritone apart, so we can find this interval in a major scale, but the chords that are built off of them are not both major or minor. Major. Diminished. This goes for minor scales as well The interval of a tritone is in a different spot. It's sort of hard to explain, but the same rule applies It's a diminished chord and a major chord They would not both ever be major or minor naturally You'd have to borrow pitches from outside the scale to pull that to pull that off Grant's doing this. It seriously couldn't be a more different sound. It is very noticeable when you hear it. So with all that in mind, it's not just happenstance that this chord relationship keeps popping up in longer chord progressions. He had to intentionally borrow pitches from outside the scale to build that relationship in there. Therefore, driving the harmonic language of each song, driving the harmonic language of the entire game, and motivating it, with this idea. You will seriously never find a better example of harmonic motives than the Banjo-Kazooie series. I I cannot think of another example in any other form of music where a single harmonic relationship added so much personality to it. This is the sound of Banjo-Kazooie, and it has a lot to say about the power of harmonic motives. Now the last example I have is actually a question. I've been thinking about this one for several weeks since deciding to write this episode, and I can't decide if it really fits the definition of harmonic motive or not. There is a chord in Hyperlight Drifter that returns at key points in the storyline. Without spoiling anything, it seems to be attached to any appearance or mention of a particular memory. The chord is always the same. It never transposes or changes key, it just sort of reorders the pitches sometimes. What follows or precedes the chord is slightly different each time, but the chord is always the first thing that we hear. It is instantly recognizable and appears enough times in the game for me to think that it is one of the few recurring ideas or themes in terms of the music. However, there are several reasons why I hesitate to call it a harmonic motive. First, the only definition I've been able to find says that it's a series of chords, not a single chord. And if I think about it, a single recurring pitch could not be considered a melodic motive, or a rhythmic motive. It would need at least some other rhythmic or melodic aspect for it to even register in our heads as a recurring thing when we hear it. Secondly, it's not driving the composition of the game as a whole. It appears at dramatically important moments, but it's not an underlying part of the language throughout the entire game like Banjo-Kazooie's harmonic motive was. In all of the tracks it appears in, the rest of the piece is noticeably different from the harmonic language of that particular chord, so it isn't a driving force of the individual composition either, like we had in the Forest Temple example. However, I could argue that even if it's a single chord, it appears the change of the inversion or the order of the pitches is a recurring idea. It seems to happen in doubles like that more often than not. So technically, it's a series of at least two chords. And even if its appearance in the game is relatively short, it's still quite prominent and absolutely upholds the rule of being an abstract idea divorced from melody or rhythm influences. There's no rhythm or melody to be had, it's just a chord. On top of that, in my research, I was able to find a commenter on a forum about classical music who pointed out that composers like Wagner whom, as you may recall, was the composer who popularized the leitmotif in his operas, often used single chords to suggest a recurring idea. This half-diminished chord returns throughout the entire work in much the same way the chord in Hyperlight Drifter does. So, can we call this a harmonic motive then? Or, because it's associated with some part of the storyline, perhaps it's a harmonic leitmotif, which as far as I know isn't even a real term. I lean towards the latter, actually, but I'm certainly open to debate. In any case, the fact that the function of this chord is difficult for me to pin down in words is just a testament to how creative and powerful and Just plain freaking cool it is in the context of the game. So there you have it. Three very different composers using the same basic technique to create an iconic sound in their music. I have to say, this podcast episode was a real struggle, because outside of already knowing of the motive in Banjo-Kazooie, I couldn't find a single forum, blog, or article that spoke about harmonic motives in video game music. It was a struggle to find it even in classical music, and a lot of the research for this was me staring at a wall and digging through my own brain trying to think of every piece of music I've ever heard and and uh, digest whether they had used harmonic motives. So. I hope someday I can revisit this topic with more examples and even more genres of video game music, but I personally found even just these three examples very instructive. It takes time to reflect upon and digest music I had heard some time ago and try to attach definitions and explanations to the sounds I instinctively found interesting at the time, especially when I was a kid. That's really what this podcast is all about, We're talking about stuff that you probably already noticed in music, and I'm potentially helping you understand why it made you feel the way you did, because for me, this podcast is helping me understand why I feel the way I do about music. So I guess what I'm trying to say is thank you for listening as I take this sometimes very personal journey back into the memories of my childhood and trying to understand how my love for video game music really started. It was definitely due in part to games like Ocarina of Time and Banjo-Kazooie when I was a kid. And today, as an adult, it's definitely due in part to games like Hyper Light Drifter. There's just so much creativity and unique ideas to be found in video game music, and I'm really glad that I can share my discoveries and my fascination with you guys. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.
2: Like this, this, like that, like, like that, that. I like it, I like it!
0: Thank you, dear listeners, for coming along this journey with us. I had a very nice time. Laura, well, say you had a nice time.
1: I had a really nice time, too. She Excuse had a, me, a very like, nice time, impression. as well. I had a very <laughs> nice time, too.
0: <laughs> that sounds like something Brian would say. So if you would like to hear more from this fine establishment and podcast, you can head over to www.ocremix.org. If you want to send us a tweet, we're at OCRpodcast over there. And, of course, the email address, as always. Is podcast at ocremix.org. And to finish everything off, thanks again to Joe and Emily for a really interesting interview. Um, Even though I don't like Final Fantasy X, they kind of turned me around on it. (laughs) And uh, Laura, thanks to you as well for your segment.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. I'm always really thrilled when I get to work on these podcast episodes. They're they're quite a challenge for me to try to put things in like you know terminology that it, that anybody can understand and it's a yeah. really good practice for me because it's in my own like composition work it helps me sort of wrap my head around like you know the sounds that pop into my head like what am I hearing here like what am I trying to do and if I can put it into English you know and talk to myself a little bit it mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier so the podcast is like really great practice for that
0: that's awesome I mean like if yeah. you can if you can explain it to me then you <laughs> you have truly gone I, to like the, the basics of the, the basics <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you think about it for I assume, no, I know this for a fact. The Overclock podcast has listeners from, you know, fans of music to creators of music to, you know, everywhere in between. So it is kind of hard to hit that balance. Um Yeah,
1: totally. Cuz I don't want to I also don't want to alienate anybody that like, you know, has has studied music theory and and wants to, you know, knows a lot of the basic stuff. So I try right. to pick I try to pick a really interesting topic, but then somewhere in the middle I try to like uh reverse engineer it and break it down from like the basics and build it back up and uh hopefully hopefully everybody enjoys it
0: (laughs) yeah i i think it i think it kind of toes that line um between the lines Mm -hmm. that that wasn't (laughs) funny don't laugh um okay (laughs) you know we should we should have like little (laughs) should have little um interviews with our with our segment creators to like hear about the creation process that'd be fun
1: (laughs) yeah that'd be a lot of fun because i can i can always do like a quick um you know, comments about like here's one part that I really struggled with trying to put into words. So here's this part I mm-hmm. couldn't play on piano at all. <laughs> yeah start from there that's
0: a good idea we should think about that um yeah
1: totally i'd ma- be down
0: cool all right well we just thought up a new segment on the spot
1: <laughs> between behind pro- between the lines <laughs>
0: <laughs> between the lines and between the lines very good this has been a productive <laughs> episode so thanks everyone for listening brian should be back next week um unless he remains lost uh, in, the, in the general dc area Then <laughs> i don't know what we'll do but until then thanks for listening and now we are going to head into The Playlist.
1: The Playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is Autumnal Tunes.
0: Wingding from Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze and submitted by Joseph G.
1: Mushroom Hill Act 2 from Sonic Generations, submitted by Black Doom.
0: Maple Treeway, Autumn, from Mario Kart 8, and submitted by Patch.
1: From Stardew Valley, submitted by Yami.
0: Wind in Your Hair, originally from Mario Kart Wii, remixed by Overclock University, and submitted by Grace.
1: Ascalon from Guild Wars, submitted by the Battle Bards Podcast.
0: The Smell of Mushroom, from Stardew Valley, also submitted by the Battle Bards podcast.
1: How long will the rain last? From Breath of Fire 4, submitted by Jeff McMillan.
0: Cider Time from Dust Force and submitted by me.
1: Clockwood Autumn from Banjo Kazooie, submitted by me.
2: (laughs)
0: Been listening to the Overclocked Podcast. Next week's playlist is Game Boy Music. Nothing too colorful or advanced. We're looking for the vintage stuff. To submit your suggestions,
1: or just say ba ding,
0: hit us up on Twitter at OCR Podcast, email us at podcast at ocremix.org, or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org. This week's lyrical wisdom.
1: Dear Seymour Guado, this will not be your story. Here's what you don't know. I can fly. I'll fly far away. Autumn in Ascalon. From Guild Wars, submitted by the Battle Bards podcast. Oh, I totally blew it! <laughs> Battle I said Pardcast. podcast! <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Leave it in.